1 Samuel 17. Let's stand together, please. We're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 40. A lot of you probably know this chapter so well that you could quote it back to me. But uh, we're going we're gonna to focus verse 40 down to verse 51. So read silently there with me. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, that comest, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast divide, uh, defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood, from, stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their companions was dead, they fled. So Father, I pray for the preaching of your word tonight. And I pray, Father, that you would provide through the Holy Spirit the power that is necessary through the preaching of your word. God, minister to us, speak through us, use us. And uh, God, may, you, may your glory um, be revealed and shown through the preaching of your word tonight. Father, I pray for Terry Tankersley and his surgery coming up on Tuesday. Pray, Father, for the power of God in his life and healing. And uh, Lord, I, I pray for Mike Anderson and his surgery uh, coming up this week as well. God, heal him and help him. So minister to us tonight. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Title of my message tonight is, What is Your Why? I heard somebody, somebody misunderstood me this morning. They said, what did he say? What is your, what is your wife? What is your Why? is the title of the message tonight. Truth is, we're all mesmerized over stories of heroism. When we were in New York City this past summer, we, uh, we purposely we walked a good ways from where we were to get to, um, to the theater district 
uh, there in, in midtown Manhattan. And we went there because Christy and I wanted the kids to see a particular fire station in midtown uh, that contained uh, engine 54 and ladder truck number 9. And um, it was a very special place. Dan, if you will, would you pull uh, those pictures there? That is uh, one of the pictures you'll see there that we were actually uh, there at the fire station. Uh, We were there when the door was shut. You'll see the door in just a moment. Suddenly the bell rang and the door opened and they had a call. And uh, this this is the captain there. And uh, they went out on the call and were not gone very long and they came right back and we were standing there. And so he came over and talked to us and uh, just wanted to know what we were doing. And I I told him, I said, I wanted, my wife and I wanted our children to come to this fire station because of what is represented here. And he offered to take a picture with us and I I had the opportunity to pray with him and pray uh, pray for their station. Uh, there on the door is a list of names, and I don't know if you can see those names, uh, but there's firefighter Paul Gill and, and uh, Jose Guadalupe and Leonard uh, Raga, I, I can't pronounce his name, and Christopher Santora. Uh, they were all a part of Engine 54. We'll go to the next one. Um, that's the boy standing outside. That's the fire station door. Um, it's closed and it has that graphic on it and uh, so they keep it closed. This is Battalion 9, the Battalion Chief Edward uh, Garrity, a Firefighter Alan Feinberg, Firefighter Carlo Asaro, Battalion Chief Dennis Devlin, Lieutenant Charles Garbarini. Uh, they're obviously not from the South, right? And, and then the ladder truck, the next one I think, uh, Captain David uh, Woodley, Lieutenant Daniel Callahan, Firefighter Joseph Angelini Jr., Firefighter Michael Brennan, Firefighter Michael Michael Hobb, Firefighter Michael Lynch, Firefighter Samuel uh, Deach, I I can't see that, Firefighter John uh, Tipping II. Seventeen firefighters who went on call on September 11, 2001. And theirs was the only station that lost the entire shift on that particular day. Go to the next one. There, of course, is the, the site of one of the towers at the World Trade Center. And that was a very sombering place to be. Individuals who, if you remember that day when everyone was running for their life, individuals who were running to save lives. Remarkable, remarkable testimonies. On January 2nd, 2007, approximately 75 people were waiting at a busy subway station. Watched as a young man suffered a seizure and then fell from the platform onto the subway tracks and onlookers watched in horror yet did nothing but there was a man named Wesley Autry who quickly took action 
he suddenly he handed his two young daughters to a complete stranger, and then he leaped down into the tracks, hoping to have time to drag the man out of the way of an oncoming train. And when Autry realized that there was no time to move the other man, he instead held him down between the tracks as a train passed over top of them. In an article written by the New York Times, Autry said, I don't feel like I did something spectacular. I just saw someone who needed help. And I did what I felt was the right thing to do. Truly heroic stories. As David arrives on the scene here in 1 Samuel 17, he's only a teenage boy, yet he's about to become one of Israel's greatest heroes. One of the most remarkable men to ever live in that nation. And when we're first introduced to him in chapter 16, he's introduced as the one that God had chosen to be Israel's great king. And God told Samuel that David was not the choice because of his physical stature, but because of his heart. He said, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. King Saul was an excuse maker. He always had a reason to not obey God. And even at a young age, David was what I consider a way maker. If it was for a good cause, especially if it was for the Lord, David would find a way to get it done. And the Lord later described David as a man after his own heart. And you have to ask the question, why? Why is that? And I believe that it is, if for no other reason, it is what we discover in 1 Samuel 17. And that is that David was willing to sacrifice everything so that others might know the Lord. And so I ask the question tonight, what causes ordinary people to put their life on the line for a cause or for a stranger? What causes ordinary people to do something extraordinary? In other words, what is their why? What leads them to make such a decision? When we look at David's life, we see in verses 20 through 28 that David considered what was before him. First of all, what was before him was a confrontation with a giant Goliath. Look back with me to verse number 20, and let's read a few things. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. David was excited to be there. He didn't know what was going on. He was just excited to be present In verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David 
heard them. Now, as we well know, David, uh, Goliath was intimidating in his appearance. In verses 4 through 7, the Bible describes his stature and what a giant of a man that he was. In verse number 4, we see his familiar reputation. He was known as the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath. In verses 8 through 10, we see his terrifying confidence. Look with me in verse number 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and he said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? And not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. He was a man of great confidence. It didn't matter who it was his opponent. He believed that he, would, that he could win and could prevail because he was, after all, the champion. David had to consider Israel's fear in verses 24 and 25. Read with me. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. Ralph Waldo Emerson correctly said, Fear defeats more people than any other thing, than any other one thing in the world. Fear can keep us from moving forward. It certainly robs us of our faith. And fear can destroy lives and opportunities. The Israelites, when they had when they were sent, uh, the 12 spies were sent over into the promised land. They came back and testified in Numbers 13 and verse 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. If we can stay afraid, we will never accomplish anything for God. For 40 days, Goliath came out looking for someone to fight him. And for 40 days, everyone ran to their tent in fear. We live in a world today where people want to argue about everything. And people are getting more and more bold concerning their lifestyle and being in opposition to the Word of God. And you know what us Christians are doing? We're afraid. And we remain silent. We cannot be afraid. In verse 28, David had to consider his brother's criticism. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. 
Eliab was his own brother. And when he sees David, all he can see is fault. And he chooses to criticize his own brother because it is far easier to be a critic than to be a champion. I remember reading a long time ago, D.L. Moody was, uh, was in a service and he was speaking on evangelism. And there's this woman who came to him and she says, you know, sir, I really don't like your form of evangelism. And he says, you know, ma'am, I don't really like it either. He says, can you please tell me how to do it better? How do you do it? And she says, well, I don't. And he simply responded, well, I like my form of evangelism a lot more than yours. It is easy to critic. It is easy to criticize. It is easy to find fault with other people, especially when we're on the sideline. Amen? It is easy for someone to find a reason why something is wrong, preacher said something wrong, or daddy said something wrong, or the coach did something wrong, or the teacher did something wrong, and everybody gets fiery mad about such things today. Could get on referees, couldn't I? Mercy, old boy is right. (laughs) It is easy to criticize. Eliab is there and Eliab's not willing to fight, that's for sure. But he has a fault with his brother. And anyone can find fault. But the question is this, who will find solutions to be successful? Who can find a better way? Who has a better idea? How can we improve it? What's the solution? Anyone who is willing to stand up and do something is putting themselves in a position to be criticized. But David overcome that. He understood what he was up against. It was very clear. He had a giant who was defying the armies of the living God. He was surrounded by people who were afraid. And the the guy who we think would be his greatest cheerleader was his greatest critic. He knew what he was facing. But he had something inside of him. He also knew what his why was. Something that pushed him forward despite everything that was trying to hold him back. We see secondly his cause. Look with me in verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He says to his brother. Is there not a reason to be here? Is there not a cause to stand for? Is there not a a willingness to fight? He says, what have I done that is so wrong? In verse 30, he turned from him toward another. He spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. In verse 31, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. In psychology, there is a thing called the bystander effect. It is a phenomenon in which the greater the number of people present, the less likely people are to help a person in distress. 
In other words, if it's just you, if it's just you by yourself and you're the only one that can help, you're more likely to take responsibility. But if there are a number of observers, people have a tendency to stand back and wait for someone else to act. There is a principle called the 80-20 principle. It doesn't matter if it's the workforce or if it's a church or where it is. Doesn't matter how big it is, 20% of the people do most of the work. That's a general rule. It's a common, well known fact. Here he is, there's a whole army that can take on the giant. There's a multitude of people, but everyone stands back and is waiting for someone else to move. The easiest thing for men to do is to stand back and do nothing. But what good will ever happen if we always stand back and do nothing? It was easy for Eliab to criticize and find fault, but it was much more difficult for him to accept the responsibility to face the giant himself. The men of Israel had been offered the same challenge for 40 days but were not willing to do anything about it. Suddenly David shows up and he's wondering, why are we not doing something? I personally think King Saul should have been the one fighting the champion, but it was easier for him to find reason why David shouldn't than to discover why he should. Look in verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistines to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Guys who under, guys, I'm going to say women as well. People who understand their why, they can be told that they can't do it. But if you're motivated for the right reasons, you will find a way to get it done. There's something in you that drives you, that pushes you. As a matter of fact, when somebody says you can't do it, it motivates you to prove them wrong. King Saul says, you're not able they, all the people heard David, and David says, man, let's go, let's get it done. And they go back to Saul and says, listen, there's a kid here that wants to take on the giant. And we know he's just a kid, but who else is going to do it? And they bring him before the king, and the king looks at him and says, you can't do that. He's a champion. He is a giant. You're just a teenage boy. You're just a youth. You have, there is no way that you can do that. And it doesn't stop David because he knew his why. He understood what his cause was. He understood what his motivation was. Part of Eliab and the nation of Israel and King Saul, part of their problem was their perception of what was wrong. In verse 25, the men of Israel saw the Philistine champion as defying the armies of Israel. But in verses 26 and verse 45, David saw, him, saw the problem as the giant defying his God. And he just was not going to stand for that. So he 
he mentions his reason why. Look with me in verse 46 and 47. This day, this day David says to the giant who is cursing him, who is mocking him, who just said in verse 44, I'm going to give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Reasons that we would shake in our shoes, reasons that we would want to run, and reasons we would think, why did I ever open my mouth to, be, to put myself in this position? David goes, and he tells them in verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Goliath is facing someone who also has confidence. The difference is Goliath had confidence in himself. David had confidence in who? He had confidence in the Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? Our fear, and it goes for all of us, our fear leaves us in a place where we believe everything is dependent upon us. It is a snare for us to put confidence in man. But when we put confidence in God and we believe that God can, it puts us in a position where it's not just on me. The Lord's about to do something big. So watch what he does. He says, I will smite thee. I will take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He repeats to Goliath what Goliath just said to him in verse 44. Why, why is he going to do this? Underline it there. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Can I get an amen? What's his why? Because when he's done, Israel and the Philistines are going to know who God is. Before he's willing to take on the giant, the Israelites are scared and the Philistines are defying Israel with their own gods. They're not afraid. They're willing to battle. They've got the champion on their side. But in that moment, David says, Listen, the Lord, the Lord is about to deliver you into my hand. I'm fixing to remove your head. I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to give your body to the, to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth for one reason. This is my why. Because I want everyone to know that there is a God in Israel. In verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I'm going to fight because I want the world to know that we serve the one true God. And I'm going to fight so that this assembly of people will know 
that the Lord, the battle is the Lord's. It's not with who can use the sword the best or who can uh, uh, throw the spear the straightest. The battle is God's and God is able to deliver you and, the, and, and he will give you into our hands. That is his why. That's what motivated them. That's what pushed him. That's what gave him the confidence in verses 32 through 40. In reaction to Saul's chiding that he was neither qualified nor able to take the champion, take on the champion, David revealed he was willing because of his faith in the Lord. Saul at least tried to suit him with his own armor, but David put them off of him and went forward with his staff. And he picked up five carefully chosen stones and his trusty sling. And those stones, they would have been real small. It would have looked like a lead bullet. I learned this when I was in Israel. It wouldn't have been that big old stone because we can't throw it very hard. But it would have been a very careful, smooth stone that the water had washed and rushed over and had, and had rounded it up. And it would have been like, a, like one of those lead bullets that we used to see the Confederates used to use, you know, and the Union Army used to use. It had been one of those lead bullets and he put that in his sling, and by the time he whipped that thing around and he shot that, it was like a gun went off. And when it hit that giant in the head, I mean, it sunk in his forehead just like you shooting a 30-30 rifle. And when it hit him, down he went. David knew where his confidence lied. And the result was David conquered He became a hero in Israel and inspired a nation to have faith in God. And the Lord can do wonders through a man who finds his reason why to serve the Lord rather than excuses not to. Uh, The boys and I, we went to, uh, we we drove all the way to Jacksonville last night to watch a high school basketball game. And uh, it was number one uh, Ramsey, class 5A, against uh, number five Jacksonville, defending state champions in class 4A. And uh, the real reason we went is because I wanted them to see this one particular guy that was on their team. And uh, he is the uh, grandson of John Croyle. Everybody know who John Croyle is? Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm looking at you, BJ. Maybe. You're not a Tennessee fan if you don't know. It's coming, okay? His... uh, his uncle was Brody Croyle. His father was John David Phillips, who's quarterback at Alabama. And his mother played basketball at the University of Alabama. And the Joker signed to play a basketball for Tennessee. What is wrong with that dude? Yeah, he's smart. He's a four-star athlete. I watched him in the state finals last year. He just dominated. Six foot nine, tall, kind of. Uh, just uh, just dominated, jump out of the building. And uh, we drove all the way, hour and a half, to, to watch them play. And the team ran out there on the floor, and he was not there. And I thought, my goodness, has he had a knee injury? And so I got on the Internet and looked it up. That fella changed schools. Man, he changed schools. He, he went to some big basketball school, prep school, up in Missouri to finish up his senior year. And uh, 
just a great ball player. He, the team that he was on, they got beat by 20 points last night. Wasn't, wasn't even a good game. Terrible game. Spent $36, drove an hour and a half, three hours, terrible ball game. Didn't even see the guy I wanted to go see. Now, this is, this is the reason, okay? The Croyle family are a family of great faith. They run the Big Oak Ranch, you know, and, and uh, they, are, they are strong Christian believers. I, I sat behind John Croyle when it was at the state tournament. He sat right in front of me, and I got to shake his hand, talk to him a little bit. Tall guy, played defense, defensive end at Alabama, for Paul Bear Bryant. Matter of fact, he was looking at going pro, and he talked to uh, Coach Bryant about what he should do with the rest of his life, and he was considering the life in pro, or he's considering helping children. And Coach Bryant said, I would choose helping children any day of the week. And that's what he did with, that's what he's done with his life. I think Brody Croyle runs that pretty much now. I, I, I wanted the boys to see this young man because he's a great athlete and a great player. But you can look up on the internet, there's a great article about him. And his goal, his why, is that he wants to use his platform to share his faith in what God is doing in his life. And he testified this, he says, you know, I come from a strong family with great faith. He says, but it, but it was, he says later in life, I mean, the kid's only a senior in high school. He says, but it was later when it really became important to him. And he said he learned the importance. This is very profound for a young man who's a senior in high school. He says he learned that it is important not to duplicate somebody else's faith. In other words, just because granddaddy has great faith doesn't mean I need to duplicate his. That I need to be just like that person because they're a great Christian and a great testimony. You don't have to duplicate them. You just need to live a faith that is real in your own life. And people will see that. I know Rick Barnes is a great Christian man. And it's a great opportunity for him. He turned down Alabama to go there to Tennessee. I'm praying for that young man. I pray God uses him in a big way. Are you with me? I say that because he is a young teenage boy who understands his why. And when we forget our why, we lose sight of our priorities. And when stress of life hits us and trials comes our way, we act out of character because we lose sight of what we're even here for. Didi Hendricks, I hope you never forget your why. Right? Why do we do what we do? I'm not talking about just ministry. I'm talking about why, why, why do we do what we do? What pushes us forward? If we need the applause of man and we need somebody constantly encouraging us, we have lost sight of our why. David was criticized. He was facing death. But he still went forward. People will criticize 
Let people think what they want to think. Tell yourself that every day. Let people think what they want to think. But know why you're doing what you're doing. And may it be something bigger than just a paycheck or just paying, getting the bills took care of or just day-to-day life. Live for something bigger than that. Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? What pushes you forward? And remember that every day. David's was, I just want everybody to know who my God is. And if, it, if it's going to take me to fight a giant that nobody else wants to take on, if that's what it's going to take, David says, I'm going to do it. Because I want my brothers, I want my brothers to have the confidence that God can deliver us. If David had not been obedient to his father's command in verses 17 through 22. If he had been overcome with fear along with everyone else in verses 23 through 27. If he had been com- become discouraged by his brother's criticism in verses 28 and 29. Or, or discouraged by listening to the king tell him he was unable in verses 32 through 33. If he had never cared for his father's sheep enough to fight both a lion and a bear in order to save them in verses 34 to 37, he would have never trusted the Lord to take down the giant who defiled both his God and his people in verses 45 through 47. And he did it not so the world would know his name, but he did it that the world may know his God. So despite all the distractions, may our focus always be to live our lives for the glory of God with a single purpose that all may know him that saved us, delivered us, and has sent us. So as we close up the services today and we prepare to go into the mission field tomorrow, What is your why? What is your why? Let's bow our heads.